Welcome to the Declaration Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor John Cheryl. For more information about Declaration Church and other resources, visit declaration.org. All right, well, let's just let's, let's jump in this morning. We're going to be in the book of Luke in just a bit, but I want to start with a story that is a very personal story. Some of you are probably wondering why this chair is here. We'll get to it, but it, it'll probably be with us over the next four weeks after this. But um, one of the worst days that we as a family had experienced in probably years happened last December. I mean, really a really horrible, horrible day. Um, you know, like most everybody on the planet, we, we all go through some things. And as a family, I can tell you, we've been some, through some pretty tough stuff, through some pretty hard seasons, through some suffering. But the day that I'm talking about this morning for us, this was a day that was probably one of the hardest emotionally and mentally and even spiritually, physically. I've got three boys um, who I think the world of, they are super fun, handsome little dudes, right? I mean, hey, good thing they, t- they look like their mama. That's a good thing. But I got three boys. I think the world of these guys, I think they're amazing. They're not perfect. You know why? Guess what? Because their parents are not perfect. Nobody better say amen right there. Um, <clears throat> but to us, you know, I mean, they may as well be perfect. I truly believe that they're incredible. They're talented. They're joyful. They're energetic. Um, all the potential in the world, just truly amazing kids. And I love them madly. There is nothing that I would not do for my boys. So December 21st of last year, I was wrapping things up at the office for Christmas holiday. Kelly called me um, and she said, you know, I know that I saw Jaden a while ago, but he's not home. I can't find him. I haven't seen him for hours. Come to think of it. And um, she didn't know where he was. Um, all she knew, I know I saw him earlier, but he, I haven't seen him for a while. And so I can't find him anywhere. Well, we knew this, and, and just so you know, I've, I've been talking to Jaden this week. He, I asked him if I could share this story. He's fine. God's been using this story in his life and, and I think in others, but, um, and it's a pretty raw story for us still, so pray with me, if you will, about as I continue. But So I'm wrapping up things at the office for the holiday, um, you know, things you got to do, and um, we knew that Jaden's having a pretty rough time for, I don't know. Um, a couple weeks, so, you know, I get this phone call, and, and um, Jaden, we knew just enough to know that it, it was rough, but we didn't know a lot of details until some things started coming out after this, but he had been enduring a lot of hardship. Um, he had been dealing with some, some physical abuse for some classmates at school. He had been dealing with some mental, what I call, and I don't, I don't throw around the word abuse a lot, Right? He had been dealing with some physical stuff, with some, some mental things from, from, from some schoolmates, a lot of bullying. Um, sadly, some of this even came from some Christian kids in the Christian community. Um, you combine that with the pressure of his, his schedule, his life. Um, you know, he's got a lot of things that he was involved in. And, um, and also, I think you add the level of he's a pastor's kid now. Now, we've never tried to put that kind of pressure on our kids, but it just is what it is. It's an in- inevitability. And so he kind of takes on some of that pressure and stuff. So you, you add all this stuff up, right? And it just becomes a very rough season for him. We had watched one of our bright-eyed, high-capacity, super talented, I mean, just incredible talent, just energetic, really a leader-type kiddo. We just watched him begin to crumble before our eyes until he just couldn't take it anymore. And so he just decided he was just going to get away from it all and run. And he just ran. We didn't, you know, we didn't know. All Kelly told me was, um, you know, um, I can't find him. 
And I couldn't allow my mind to begin to panic. I, I knew that if I had gone into that place of, okay, well, where is he? Um, that I would probably end up in a, in a pretty extreme place of fear, which I didn't, you know, that's, that's never going to get us anywhere. God did not give us a spirit of fear. I know all these things, right? But help me. I mean, let me just, we know these things, don't we? Okay. I don't need to say anymore. And, um, you know, and so uh, I just continued to, I, I, the only thing I could do at that point was like, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish what I'm doing. And then I just started to convince myself, well, you know what, he'll turn up. You know, every now and then he'll go walk the neighborhood or whatever, he'll, he'll turn up. And so I went ahead and said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and finish the things I had to do. Um, I, I had a haircut scheduled, so it's the obligatory holiday haircut, right? Mom's coming, got to clean it up a bit. Um, you know, family, got to go to the grocery store, finish some last bit. So I'm doing these things, and every now and then I'm texting Kelly. Have you seen him? Is he home? Have you seen him? No, 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 no. It's not about 6 o'clock that I begin to start becoming a little bit more nervous now. And, um, you know, I'm being a little bit more short with Kelly on the phone. Um, I'm starting to worry. I'm driving around. I'm looking block after block. Our neighborhood, they were building a lot of houses in a row. I mean, I, I went into every house and started looking, just thinking, well, maybe he's just hanging out in one of these houses. You know, no one's, no one's bought them yet. They're building. Good news is, is I know pretty much all the houses in our neighborhood. They're very nice, by the way, very nice houses. It's not creepy at all if my neighbor's here. Um, but I know them. And, um, you know, and I just drove and I prayed and I began to drive faster and pray harder. By the way, don't drive faster on Aldine Westfield. Not a good plan. But I just drove. And, you know, the more I drove, the more I prayed, the louder I prayed. Emotions began to get the best of me. Somewhere around 830 that night, the police got involved. And Kelly and I began to see the power of social media. Um, you know, uh, I, I didn't put anything on my page. I knew if I had said anything in that moment, my ability to actually look for my son was over because my phone would not stop. And so I just, I said, I can't, you know, Kelly even got frustrated with me a little bit. Like, John, we got to do something. Put it on your, you know, put it on. And I was like, you don't understand. I can't do that. But we had one of his friends do it. And then I'm going to tell you right now, the power that you want to know what our kids are, that, it, it, it exploded. All of a sudden, people were everywhere. Um, you know, I, I would drive around in circles, basically the same path, because somebody had seen him at one point, they thought, and so it, we're, we're getting all this news, real time, social media, and I'm going large blocks at a time. I'm, I'll never forget, though, because we, the police were already involved. I would drive by McDonald's because someone said they thought they had seen him at McDonald's on Rayford. And... Um, and the police are all gathered there just hanging out. And man, I was frustrated. You know, I didn't know what they were doing. I just, I just knew they weren't doing what I wanted them to be doing. And I went and talked to him at one point. And I'm like, man, what is going on? You know, why, why aren't they doing something? Why aren't they out looking, you know? And they, they assured me, no, we're on this. It's, a, you know, panic and fear. I mean, it's taken over me at this point. Desperation is beginning to kick in. All I could do is drive, panic, cry, pray. Drive, panic, I mean, repeat, right? Um, begging God for breakthrough. Just begging for, for even a, a sight of him, you know? Um, begging God that I could find Jaden and bring him home. He was missing. And it, it, listen, parents, you get it. There is nothing that you would not do for your kid, right? Um, people are out looking. I'm now calling in some more people to look. Police are out looking. Rumors of sightings here and there. Threat of hope, but after nothing materializes, that threat of hope, those rumors begin to turn into hopelessness in my heart, to be honest. I didn't, for one moment, ever think this. I didn't stop to go, well, you know what? We've got three boys. So two out of three, two of them are safe and sound. We're doing pretty good. It's all good. It's okay. I didn't, that didn't happen. I mean, who in their right mind would do that, right? No. Um, each of my kids are deeply important and valuable. They mean more to me than my own life. And so... Um, 
All I knew is that one of them was missing, and he was lost, and I didn't know the details. I was just desperate. Um, yes, I knew that my other boys were okay. I, they were safe at home. You know, they, we left him safe at home, and we were searching, but Jaden was lost. We had to find him. A lot of questions. Was he alone? Was he scared? What had happened that I wasn't aware of fully? What was going on right now? Where did he go? Was he hurting? Did he feel helpless? Was he safe? Was he looking for help at this point? I mean, my mind even started getting really panicked, thinking, man, 99 is right there. If he got in any car, I mean, this is where I'm at. I am full-on freaking out. I would have done anything, anything. There was nothing I wouldn't have done to find him. Finally, around 1040 that evening, J.D. had just showed up to where I was and got in the car. And honestly, I cannot remember anything we talked about for a few minutes. And we were about to take off looking again. And we got a phone call. He's found. Now, immediately in that moment, now, you know, for a, a solid 10 or 15 seconds, before I could allow any other thoughts to come into my mind, I cannot begin to tell you the feeling of just absolute release of rest that gripped me. I mean, it was like immediate thankful, thankful joy, but also just like, just, I don't, I don't, I don't have words to describe just the, you know, in my heart was this overwhelming sense of just relief. Because Jaden was found. I felt like, okay, it's all going to be okay. This can, we can work through whatever. He's found and he's coming home. Um, the emotions and thoughts were overwhelming in the hours following, especially the moment that I finally saw him. So listen, I, and I want you to hear this. For me and for my family, this is, it is very personal. It is very real. And it's somewhat pretty raw. And it's our story. But the more I started thinking about this, especially in light of the last few weeks, and what, what I feel like God is doing in my heart, and what I feel like God is wanting to do in our church, I began to realize, man, this is not just my story or Jaden's or Kelly's or our story. This is our story. This is all of our story. Now, let me help you understand what I mean. This could take many forms and many faces, all right? Um, pick one that best describes you um, or that described your past or maybe even for some of us it describes us right now where, where you are at. It could be lost, broken, hurting, rejected, defeated, depressed, abandoned, anxious, angry. It could be lonely, isolated, um, you feel like an outcast, trapped in chains of sin, keeping up the appearances of living well, but living a lie. It could be fear, affliction, abuse. It could be addiction, insecurity, self-hatred, even thoughts of suicide. A thousand things it could be. It's all of us. Many of these things could describe any of us at any given point in life. And just because you would call yourself a Christ follower does not mean you're immune from the temptation or the tactics of attack of the enemy. And so it's all of us. The beautiful truth today and the promise that I, that I want you to hear before anything else is this. We have a father who would stop at nothing to find his lost, missing, hurting kids. Come on, somebody. There you go. Nothing would keep him from doing whatever it took to find us because he desperately loves each and every one of us. And that's true. To him, every single one of us is so valuable and priceless. We are his kids. There's three stories in the Bible, in the book of Luke. Um, and I believe that they reveal the Father's heart to each and every one of us. 
especially those that are wandering or lost or wayward. And again, I'm going to say this. I really believe that all of us are somewhere in this text today. So Luke chapter 15 starts verse 1 and 2. Just for a minute, I want to hang here. It says, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they're kind of pulled back and they're huddled up and, man, they're kind of muttering together. What is going on? This man welcomes sinners. Look at him. He's even eating with them. Okay, so this is kind of the, the beginning of our story, right? Jesus, sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes, low lives, outcasts, they're all kind of gathered around. And then you got this, the, the religious and the teachers over here, and they're going, What's going on here? What's this? What's happening? Why is he hanging out with these guys? What is he doing, you know? What is he thinking? I mean, they're probably looking at this whole scene and, and beginning to ask even some bigger questions now. Things like, um, I mean, gosh, I know what that person did. I wonder if he, this guy calls himself a rabbi. Some even said he's the Messiah. Now, let me just pause and ask you a question. Do you, know, do you know how to define hope? Do you know what hope is? Let me just give you some, some Webster Dictionary definitions. Hope, to wish for something with expectation of its fulfillment. To look forward with confidence or expectation. So as I was thinking through all this, I began to try to put myself in the seat of those sinners, those broken that were gathering with Jesus. Have you ever felt the feeling of absolute hopelessness? Have you ever seen someone with very little or no hope? Have you ever been in such complete darkness that you would hold your hand in front of your face and can't even make out your own hand? It's that dark. I mean, even if it were right here, you can't even see it. And then all of a sudden, finally, just a little bit of light crashes into that darkness and you can make the form. You can see it. And, and you, know, you know the feeling of the, what that would be? That, that's kind of a, a, a really poor um, example of what hope must feel like in that very second. I can't see it. You know, so you got these tax collectors and their sinners. They're gathering. The Pharisees are doing what they're saying. They're thinking what they're thinking. And I really believe all these people who are gathering around Jesus, they're doing that because they're experiencing this feeling of hope when they get near to him. It's like a breath of fresh air. It's like an energy that they've never even, even for one moment, experienced. And and they're coming close. They're drawing close to him. And, and, And here's the truth. Jesus came for them. But here's the better truth. Jesus came for them. Jesus came for us too. We're a part of that. He came for us. That's the very first thing that I really want you to hear today. Jesus came for all of us. In fact, look at a neighbor and say, he came for me. I want you to do it right now. Come on, like you mean it, like you're happy about it. He came for me. He came for us. It's so important for us to not just know, but to believe. Especially when you're looking at a scenario and a situation and your expectations are one thing, but your experience is another. I mean, some of you, like, just, I'm just going to be real with you. I've kind, of, I've kind of made a new decision. Like, we're just going to be pretty real on some things. Some of you, day in and day out, you wake up and you look across the bed and guess what? Your experience is not matching your expectation. Now, I'm not trying to be funny. I'm trying to tell you. There's some marriages in trouble in the house. 
and, and everything takes a different perspective when we get to realize, man, gosh, man, I am, I am so capable of so much that is so unworthy. And Jesus came for me. And Jesus came for her. Jesus came for him. Jesus came for us. He came for my kids. He came for us. He came for us. I mean, it's, it's so important to know and believe. We live in a broken world. And every word in that statement that I read, those, those descriptives, every word of that, whether it's your past or whether it's your present right now, that is a byproduct of the brokenness of our world. It is the fruit of brokenness. So who are these people? Who are these tax collectors and sinners? I want to kind of put a different face on them so you can understand. Um, these are people that are hanging out with Jesus. They're dishonest people. They, maybe they're dishonest businessmen. Maybe they're crooked politicians. Maybe um, they're prostitutes. Maybe they're people with diseases. Maybe, um, you know, I'll tell you this. They're probably people who could care less about the religious rules or keeping up appearances. They're most likely ostracized people, kicked out. They're the lowly and the left behind. They're the last, the least, the lost. They were not welcomed into social circles. They would not be welcomed into some gated neighborhoods that we live in. That's these people. And the verse specifically identifies and says tax collectors in verse 1. I thought that was interesting. Tax collectors. Now, these were Jews who had turned against their own, their own people, their own country to collect taxes and money on behalf of the Roman government. They're getting rich, extorting money from their own. These guys would have been so excluded and shunned by most anyone in their world that was respectable, right? And this verse, tax collect, I mean, ta- tax collecting, treasonous. I mean, these people looked at tax collectors. I mean, these people deserve to die. That's how they thought about tax collectors. But in Jesus, they experienced a friend. They had a friend, someone who cared, someone who looked at them with dignity, someone who spoke to them with kindness, someone who even spoke to them at all, much less. These are the people that Jesus is concerned with. These are the people he's spending time with. It's these guys along with the other considered low lives of Jewish society. These people are drawn to Jesus to hear what he has to say. So Jesus goes further than just teaching or talking. He even sits and eats with them, which is huge. Now understand, association is one thing, but friendship is another, right? In Jewish society, to eat with someone, it's significant because what it is, it's it's making a declaration of your friendship with that person. And so that's why they're just mortified. They're saying he's even eating with them. Jesus is telling the world, hey, man, this tax collector, this prostitute, that's my friend. That's my friend. This drove the religious spirit in people absolutely crazy. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law mutters. This man welcomes sinners. Now, I want you to understand this. Don't hear me say that these are bad people. The Pharisees and the teachers, they're not horrible guys. They championed the word of God. They were, um, they were intentional. They were, they were interested in personal holiness. Many of them passionate. Many of them sincere. They did truly want to please God. So don't hear me say that they're bad people. But there's just one issue. Either they forgot or they just did not understand. Lost people, broken people, diseased people, um, you know, disenfranchised people, hurting people, lonely people, disrespectable people, dirty people. These are the people that matter to God. These religious, they were too busy searching for someone who would literally come and conquer that they were missing the one who came to comfort So imagine the scene. There's Jesus. He's doing what he's doing. And they're all huddled up in disbelief over here saying, man, 
Rabbi, what? Messiah? Are you kidding me? I mean, doesn't he understand who these people are? These are horrible people. Surely he would not be around them if he knew where they came from, if, they, if he knew what they had been doing or what they've done. I mean, doesn't he know God hates sinners? Time out. Time out. So as they're grumbling and muttering, they're wrong. I mean, they're dead wrong. These teachers in this moment, they're the ones that need to be taught. Yes, God is set apart from sin because he's absolutely holy and perfect. He does not like sin because sin separates his most valuable, highest prized creation. It separates them from himself. He detests sin, but get this, he still loves people. He loves the sinner so much that he would see forward through time and and he was gonna send that one, that Jesus, he was gonna send his son to the cross on behalf of those very sinners. So much he loves them. So these people surrounding, I mean, they are desperately needing and deeply wanting hope. And they're finding this in Jesus. Listen, again, man, we are these people. It gets really easy to get caught up in our schedule and to get caught up in the things that we do and the activity of even being a Christian, a follower of Christ, and it gets very easy to forget to look to the right and left at those people that so deeply want to understand our language and want to even be in our club necessarily because they're on the outside looking in and just kind of pass them by as we truck through life. But we are these people. We are them. We are them. Again, Jesus came for us. Jesus came for us. That's point one. Jesus calls him to, he calls us to himself. He calls us to come close. That's why I love that song that we sang. Um, Never known a love like this. Why? Man, we are the broken. We are the sinful. We are the angry. We are the lustful. We are the spiteful. We are the arrogant, entitled, vengeful, hurting. We are the rejected, the defeated, the depressed, the abandoned, the anxious, the angry. We are the lonely, the isolated, the outcast. We are the fearful, the sinful, the abused, the addicted, the lost. This is us. And Jesus came for us. That's why I always say, hey, look, man, we are not a church of perfect people. We know that we are sick and we need a savior. Maybe we just got here a little before others. I mean, this is us. And so think about this because it really got me to thinking Jesus came for us. It got me thinking about us. It got me thinking about how we do life, how we do home, how we do church. The questions I came up with, where are the tax collectors and sinners going today? Where are they at? I mean, do we see them pressing in to hear Jesus today? Do we invite them into our lives, our homes? Do we share a meal with them? I mean, are our churches filling up with them? This is who Jesus came for. He came for them, but he also came for us. Surrounded by the sinners, Jesus began talking to the religious leaders. And look what happened in verse 3. He, he begins to teach a pair, talk, talk in parable, talk a story. Let me tell you a story. That's what Jesus does. I love that. Let me, let, come here, come here, come here. Let me tell you a story. <laughs> He's very good at this, communicating a really big point through a story. And he says, suppose one of you have a hundred sheep, you know, and you lose one. I mean, whoever that is, whoever has the hundred but loses one, doesn't he leave the 99 in an open country somewhere protected? Seemingly provided for and go after that lost sheep until he finds it. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and then he goes home. He joyfully picks that sheep up, that dirty animal. Come with me here, all right? 
and he puts it on his shoulders and carries it all the way home. Doesn't matter how far that sheep wandered off. He picks it up and he carries it. Listen, come on somebody, listen. Not only did Jesus come for us, but Jesus will carry us. He will carry us out of his compassion and his kindness, out of his great love for us. When he finds us, this is the heart of the father for us. Listen, that night with Jaden, listen, with a thousand thoughts flying through my mind and questions, every emotion under the sun flooding through my, my mind, the only thing I wanted to do when I saw Jaden for the very first time when he walked into the house was just hug him and hold him. God allowed me to see a picture through this situation that we walked through. Because here's the truth. I am not perfect as our Father God is. My love cannot compare to the love of God. Man, I hope someone's hearing me today. Listen. So Jesus starts to speak in terms of something they would understand. A shepherd, he uses a shepherd. A shepherd loves his sheep. He takes care of his sheep. He guides his sheep. He provides for his sheep. He protects his sheep. He leads his sheep. He, he basically lives life with these sheep. He knows these sheep. And through his teaching, Jesus invites these teachers and these religious people, the 99, if you will, right? <laughs> he's talking to them and, and, he, and he says, hey, I want you to think about a shepherd for a second. Think about it. Let's just say you're a shepherd. You have 100 sheep and one is missing. One's gone lost. I mean, Jesus is is declaring, hey, I love them. That's what he's saying. I love them. I love them. And if one, even one of the 99, he didn't just go, oh, we had a good run. We had 100. That's all right. We're good. No, I'm going to take them. I'm going to put them in an open field where they can see for miles when danger's coming. I'm going to put them in an open field that's probably ripe with with grass for provision. I'm going to even ask someone to look over them while I'm gone. Because that's what shepherds would do. And then they would go off and he would find, he would, no matter what, no matter how far, he would go find that sheep. He would put him on his shoulder and carry him back. And this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, man, who of you would not place the other 99 in safety in the open field and go looking for the one that is lost, the one that is missing? And when he finally sees that sheep, when he finally finds it, he picks it up rejoicing. He's, he's thrilled that he's found him. He brings him to safety. He brings him back to security. He brings him back where he belongs, home. There's always one. There's always one. And God loves the 99. He loves us, but he is fixated on the one. That's why often I'll say, you know what? We do church for people who aren't here yet. That's why I'll say these chairs, you know, these chairs are important. When we set these chairs up, we're doing more than just physically setting up a church in an elementary school. We're putting out a chair and praying, God, would you fill this seat with a soul that needs salvation? Would you fill this with someone who needs to know you, God, and find freedom and hear that you have purpose for their life? Because who doesn't want to make a difference? You know what, God? Use them to make a difference. There's always a one. There's always a one. You know, I wonder... I wonder how many of us, we've seen Jesus, the shepherd, coming for us, but we just stop and go, no, thanks, man, I got it. I'll make it on my own. Stay with me. 
when we're lost and when we choose to wander off, when we choose to go missing, not only does Jesus come for us, he searches for us and he finds us, he carries us. Come on, in verse five, when he finds the sheep, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Jesus came for us, he carries us. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and he says, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I found him, he's home, he's safe. Listen, for anybody who's running, for those that might be lost, for those that are trying to live life on your own terms, for those that have been abused, neglected, for those that have been addicted, oppressed, um, stressed out, angry, anxious, for those who, again, whose your experience have not matched your expectations, for those caught in the chains of addiction and the web of lies, Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost, Luke 19, 10. He's calling you to come close, to draw near because he loves you. Not only did Jesus come for us, but he carries us and he celebrates over us when we surrender. And we say, yes, verse seven, I tell you the same way that there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. He goes on teaching. He starts talking about the coin now. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she, you know, she, she lights a lamp. She begins to sweep the house and she searches carefully, diligently, passionately until she finds it. When she finds the coin, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, listen, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is why last week when we had three people during our prayer and response time say, yes, I'm going to surrender my life to Christ in this service. I said something to this effect. Man, we just saw miracles happen in this house. Because all of heaven begins to celebrate and shout when the one sheep turns around looking, saying, man, I need Jesus. I need Savior. I need salvation. Jesus wouldn't stop at anything before he finds that which is missing, that which is lost. He came for those missing. He came for those lost. He came for those broken, trying to hide, trying to repair themselves. He came for the one who's in darkness. Man, I love that song. There's no shadow he wouldn't light up. There's no mountain he wouldn't climb up coming after us. He would do anything to get to the one that he loves who is lost. There's no wall he wouldn't kick down, no lie he wouldn't tear down. I said this in the first service. I might ruin the song for you. The first time I heard it, you know what I saw? I saw the Kool-Aid man breaking through the wall. I was like, man, I love that. Love the Kool-Aid man, right? Love me some Kool-Aid, sorry. Because I can tell you how many times in my life, in my own stupidity, I have chosen to wander off like I was a smarter sheep than my shepherd. And I needed God like the Kool-Aid man to break through the wall to come rescue me. And Jesus came for us. He carries us and he celebrates over us. And finally, we find ourselves in the last story, probably the most famous story. You've heard it, you know it. Um, but you know what? Super applicable. The story of the lost son, the prodigal. So the guy, he's got two boys. Obviously, this guy's probably wealthy. He lives on an estate. He's got servants. He's got these two kids. One of them comes to him and says, Hey, Dad, I want my inheritance because I want to go. I want out. I want freedom on my own terms. A little arrogant, a little entitlement. Dad, I want you to go ahead. Dad, I don't, I mean, thanks, but no thanks. I want to do it my own way. Now give me some of your money that you're going to give me when you die. And I'm going to go. See it? I want to go to the distant country, Dad. I want to go find what I'm looking for. Hey, when you go searching for it, you're going to find it. And he did. Dad, I'm sure brokenhearted, man. 
I mean, Jewish culture, you didn't have to wait till you died to give your inheritance to somebody. But still, how, had it, how did it feel to dad on the estate that he probably worked really hard for for his family? When his son comes and says, hey, give me what's mine because I'm done with you. Son goes off. You know, he's going to make his own way. He wants his own rules. He wants to find freedom on his own terms. Squanders the wealth. Wild living, some translations say. Living a lie. Not living into the identity of who he really is. His name. Until one day he finds himself destitute. No more money. It's all gone. He's now lost, alone, I, he, I mean, he is working for somebody else, looking at the pigs that he's feeding, just wishing he could even eat from the pod that the pigs are in. That's how hungry and lost he is, man. He has really made, he, he's made it, he's made it for himself, hasn't he? He sure found his freedom, didn't he? He's fixed himself, didn't he? And you know what? All he can do is think about the father. I want to go home. Man, I had it so good at home. I mean, even my dad's servants have it way better than me right now. I just want to go home. It became so bad. I mean, he's practically a beggar. I want you to think, I want you to imagine it, the most grotesque scenario where the only thing he can do in order to possibly even get a bite of bread is to feed someone else's pigs. He had no one. He had nothing. So look at verse 20. So he gets up. And he goes to his father. I mean, he had basically abandoned his father. But let me ask you, would his father abandon him? Watch. But while he was still a long way off, the father sees him and is filled with compassion. He begins to run to his son, throws his arms around him and kisses him. Now watch this. I wonder how many days his father sat just going, man, where is my boy? What has happened? What has happened of my boy? He's only left to imagine that he's lost his son, that his son is probably dead somewhere. That's where his mind has gone to. How long, how far do you have to go emotionally and mentally? What kind of gymnastics and mental acrobats do you do to get to the place where you've let your son walk off? He's gone. I don't know how long. Scripture's silent on this. We don't know how long he's gone. He's gone long enough for his dad to finally just kind of decide... He, he's probably gone. He's probably dead. You want to know why I know that? Because that's what he says in just a minute. But he looks over. He's just out doing what he's doing. He's probably working the fields. And he looks out. He, in the distance, he sees a form that he kind of recognizes. And it gets closer, man. He realizes who he is. He takes off running. He's running towards his boy. And he throws his arms around him. And he, be, he just begins to kiss him. And listen, don't forget. Just like that father is running for his son, I really believe the minute that we begin to turn around and walk towards our father, man, he starts running towards us. Because Jesus came for us. Even that one small step that he invites us to take, he starts running towards us. See, too many of us are, are trying to find our own way, trying to find our own joy, peace, freedom, contentment. Too many of us are living in the distant country. When the nearness of God is our good. And Jesus invites us to come close. Jesus came for us. He carries us. He celebrates us. Verse 21, the son says to him, Father, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. I'm no longer even worthy to be called your son. But the father says to him, I mean, just uh, stop. Stop talking. Hey, father says, man, 
quick, get, bring out the best robe, bring the ring out, put the ring on his finger. You know, the ring is probably a family ring. It's probably something that identifies him as the son. Put the ring on his finger, put sandals on his feet, get the fattened calf, kill it. Man, we got to celebrate. We got to have a feast because look at what he says. For this son of mine who was dead is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. And so what does it say? They began to celebrate. The story ends, okay, with the brother. He walks up pretty mad. He's like, what's going on up in here? Man, I've stuck around when my brother, my brother took money from my dad, wasted it. I was here serving, working. I mean, doing, I've been here. And so he challenges his dad. Verse 29, look, after all these years, I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders. You never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this guy, this son of yours, this brother of mine squanders your property with prostitutes, he comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? Are you kidding, dad? And so the dad looks at him and he says, listen, son, you're always with me. You've been here. You've been safe. You've been protected. You've been provided for. He even says, everything I have is yours. I'm not concerned about a portion. Everything I own, every piece of my life is for you. And you've been here. Watch this. The 99. You've been here. But we got to celebrate. We got to be glad because this brother of yours... He was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and now he's found. He's home. He's home. Listen to me, church. The father is very passionate about the one. He pursues the one. He came to seek and save the one. Who is the one? Who is the one in your world? Um, I got a text from one of our guys last week. He didn't have a clue what this series was going to be when we went into it. And for, honestly, he helped us name the series because we went through two or three different rounds of, man, what are we going to call this thing? And this is what he sends me in a text. He starts with the chorus of reckless love. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. I know people debate about that word. Come on, somebody. Man, God's passionate about you. And he chases me down. Man, he fights till I'm found, willing to leave the 99 to come after and find me. I couldn't earn that. Don't deserve it for sure. But he still gives it anyway. So that's how he starts this text. And he says, man, this song's been on my mind this morning. I found out that a young man that I knew left this world. And obviously supposition is did not leave the way that we would have hoped. And then he just says, who's the one? He says, the 99, man, these are the ones that will come to God with, you know, they'll come to God because maybe of an invitation from a friend or because they recognize they have a need and and because maybe they've encountered um, the love of Jesus at some sort of outreach. There's so many programs, he says. There's there's so many events. There's so many experiences that, that the 99 will openly and willingly come to. But the one, he says, the one, who's the one? The one is that person that doesn't feel like that they belong. The person that feels like that they're a failure. They don't believe that they're worthy. It's the person who's battling spiritual enemies or the person who they haven't learned yet to even deny their flesh. And he goes on to say, man, this song is such a great chorus that God, he will leave the 99 to chase after the one. But who is the one? He says, what about us? Will we chase after the one? He says, the one, those are the kids who feels like they have a need to shoot up the school. 
The one, this is the person who believes that there's no other way out. The one, this is the person who has failed and needs help. And without Jesus, he says, the one is you. And the one, for sure, he says, is me. He's been through a really hard season. And he turned around and surrendered. And then he has been met with the love of Jesus that is absolutely changing everything right now. Who's the one? Think for a minute. Think for a minute. All those around you, daily life, the interactions that you have, day by day, moment by moment, who's the one that God has placed in your path? Do you have a heart for the one? Yeah, of course we have a heart for the 99. One of my favorite things after we finish setting up church, I love this, is, is all of a sudden you just see people begin to clump up and they're encouraging each other, laughing at each other, they're praying with them. I mean, it's awesome. We love each other. We love the 99. And so does Jesus. Man, God loves the 99. He loves them. But listen, he is passionate and fixated on the one. And so should we. We should, be, we should be fixated on the lost one. We should be fixated on the broken, the abandoned, the addicted, the neglected, the hurting, the dirty, the rude ones. I've met some rude ones. The sinful ones. The ones that don't look like us, smell like us, dress like us, talk like us, live where we live. The one you know, I think of the one caught in adultery. I think of the one caught in lies. I think of the one who can't kick the habit of pornography. I think of the modern day tax collector cheating financially, stealing in a way that's not yet noticed, even stealing from God. I think of the one identifying as something sexually other than who God created him to be. I think of the one living in perversion. I think of the one living for religion, trying desperately to find God on their own terms, doing a lot of things, chant this, do that, wear these underwear, all this, da 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 But at the same time, religion is your attempt to get to God. Relationship through Jesus is God's attempt to rescue you. I think of these ones. It's easy to come to church and huddle with the 99, and I love that. It's safe. It's the open field of provision. It's comfort. It's protection. It's encouragement. But I'm wondering who will be like the shepherd with the heart of the shepherd and go chase after the one. That is the call because, see, listen. Listen, Jesus, man, he came for us. He carries us. He celebrates us. But then guess what? He calls us. I want you to see how this works. We've often said our vision is to know God, find freedom. He came for us, know God. He carries us, find freedom. He celebrates us, discover the purpose he's created you for. And he calls us to make a difference. Who's the one? Can we pray together for this morning? I'm gonna ask the band to come up here. Man, as we pray, here's what I really believe today. I believe that God always gives us these awesome opportunities where he invites us to take a step. This chair up here represents the one, someone who's not yet here. They're not here yet. It's not someone who just doesn't believe. It's someone who doesn't believe yet. Man, who is God calling you to pray for? to chase after, to pursue? What are the things that God is saying? Hey, you don't have to be this one because I've got something else for you. What is the level of surrender that maybe he's inviting you to take? Maybe it's to know God. Maybe to invite Jesus to take over your life. The book of Romans, call upon the name of the Lord. You will be saved. Can I tell you three things that I know God wants for you? He wants to forgive you. He wants to set you free, and he wants to be your friend. 
so this morning, maybe it's as simple as you just saying, man, Jesus, I need you. I need your forgiveness, man. I want freedom desperately, and I, I want you to be my friend. Thanks for listening to the Declaration Church Podcast. We pray many blessings over you and your journey as you declare him to the nations. For more podcasts and teachings, visit declaration.org slash podcast.